Hey, Zach. Hey, Steven. So, Steven, let me paint you a bright and shining picture of the data-enabled future. You're on a long trip, you're going south somewhere from Wisconsin, and you're passing through Iowa, and you walk into a Starbucks, and they greet you by name and know exactly what drink you want. Okay. How, how do you feel, I guess, mostly about the name? Um, I mean, if it's just my first name, I, I give that information out freely, so I don't really mind. It seems more personal, even though I agree that it's a little weird that if you've never been there before. Okay, so you do think it, it would feel more personal? Uh, I, that's at least what they're shooting for, right? Yeah, I think so. Like, this is a coffee I... shop that you've been going to for, like, six months now, and they know you by name because you go there every day. But you don't. That's the thing. It, fe- it feels disingenuous to me, at least. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, you, we have the ability to share this information. The, if, I mean, if you go to a Starbucks every day, not necessarily that one, but if you go to a Starbucks every day, then they should be able to throw that information to your next destination. I agree that they can, but I don't see why they want to. <laughs> I see that it's, I see how it could feel disingenuine, but it, um, it, it feels more like they're trying to be more coffee shoppy and less franchisey. Does that not devalue the actual coffee shoppy interactions where someone really knows your name they really know your name too they just don't memorize it uh you're right okay i'm, I'm still trying just trying to put my finger on what about this feels off it's because like, you've it's never not met these problem. people and they, these people seem to know you and you don't know them that's why so you're yeah. the problem zach <laughs> i'm the problem <laughs> i don't know this big bright data enabled future is not it's not for me apparently i would like people who know my name to have gained that information in a natural way. This is it. This is the start of me becoming an old fuddy-duddy. Maybe, but, I mean, you walk into, like, uh, I'm just wondering how this is less genuine than um, walking into a, a group of people where you only know one person and they introduce you to everyone. So you, okay. so you're going with your friend Jim, and he's taken you to his his other group of friends, and he's like, okay, that's Mary, that's Mark, that's other M name, and you're like, okay, I'm going to try to remember these because in the future I might need that. But if you All right, know so, for sure that so you're if, never going to need that that information again, then well, you really don't really you really don't have to memorize it. Yeah. So if your friend frank or fred or whatever you said Mm -hmm. was replaced by an app if some app was like hey you might like hanging out with these folks and it just like showed their faces and their names would that feel totally natural to you if they were cool with it because you'd think that uh frank or fred or whatever i said um would have their permission to uh introduce them to you and vice versa it's it's not an issue of permission or information security or anything. It just doesn't feel right, Stephen. I just don't see the difference between Frank and an app. The Turing test has already been passed. <laughs> well, obviously, I see the difference, but it's <laughs> the the difference in personability. Yeah. I guess is less important to me. Okay, I. <laughs> I'm going to remain stuck in my ways. Something about it feels weird. This isn't actually happening, by the way. I was just at an event for work, and they were talking about the the new things that'll happen in this bright data-enabled future, and I was, like, not 
not down with it. Well, frankly, the people working at Starbucks are too busy to say your name anyway. That's been my experience, at least. Mm-hmm. Speaking of our glorious internet-enabled future, mm-hmm. there is a product made by Belkin called Wemo. I hate it. It's an internet-connected electrical outlet. I own one. I made the mistake of assuming it was safe to own one. Turns out, it's trivial to access the Switch remotely from anywhere in the world. And when I say trivial, I mean it. What? Didn't that happen, like, a couple years ago? I remember you complaining about this a few years ago. Yeah, but I dug my Wemo Switch out of the uh, drawer in my room and, um... Well, I was digging through it and found the Wemo Switch and I just thought, you know, this would be something to talk about in the podcast because I'm still mad about it. All right. And by the way... Even with, I updated the firmware on all the Wemos, on the Wemos, which that I have, and I could still do it. I could still uh, perform the, the exploit. That's much less okay. Yeah, it's been, what, a couple years? So, and yeah, when I said trivial, it's really, really easy. Um, there's a GitHub repository that you can install in minutes. <laughs> and from there, you just go on Shodan and search for the Wemo, the Wemo port, which... Uh, the switch automatically opens on your router. Plug and play. Awesome. Yep. Uh, so yeah, it's, I, re- I replaced that switch with a mechanical button, but still it's, it still makes me upset because it still works. I don't know why, you know, you know, Zach. Yeah, I, I know it's just fix it. It's, it's weird that they, I assume it's easy. It what? can't be that hard. I'm what sure people are still be? using these things. I know they are because they're still on Shodan. In fact, you can pretty easily write a little script and turn on and off the lamp or the switch as fast as you can remotely. And if whatever that's plugged into will just on off, on off, on off as fast as it can. That's not okay. You can so, just you can start a fire like that. Uh, yeah, that's true. But yeah, if you know someone who uses a Wemo switch, tell them to unplug it. Because it still hasn't been fixed. It still has not been fixed. So what... Like, are there things that they're doing with the new switches? Like, I know HomeKit has some security restrictions for things that can get put on it. Uh, yes, I know that the HomeKit ones do. I'm not sure if Belkin complies with HomeKit, though. I Well, the thing is, HomeKit, you need to have a specific HomeKit chip in there. So yeah. definitely the old Wemo switches wouldn't work with HomeKit. No, they won't. They will never. Yeah. Doesn't make it okay. I mean, you know what? Just... Uh, pushing a firmware patch and just bricking the device would be, would be better for me. Well, but I bought this switch. I want it to work. Then give me a refund. Brick it and give me a refund. I don't care. But this is not okay because you can you could just log on and remotely start a fire in some guy's house. Yeah. There is a better way than just letting it go. Yeah. I don't think Belkin is entirely concerned with their reputation. <laughs> Like, somewhere along the way they must be, but I don't think they're particularly, I don't know. If you're saying that they don't care what I think, you're right. <laughs> but this this reflects on them as a company. Yeah, but it's been years and no one, still no one cares except for me, apparently. <laughs> the people at Lifehacker care. Actually, yeah, that, that's a good point because um, you, well... One thing you can do is if you have this plugged into something like a lamp or something and you forget to leave it on, uh, you forget to turn it off, uh, you can just uh, remotely exploit your own device and turn it off when you're on vacation or something. Hey, yeah. So it's a feature, not a bug. It's a feature. (laughs) 
So Stephen, you must have, must have already been in a mood about something, upset over something. Yeah, yeah, I was, um, because I had just been using the UW Credit Union app because in the fall I will be attending UW Madison, and and uh, you're so I transferred all my money from my uh, local bank into the UW Credit Union. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, we have this app. Let, uh, let me install it on your phone for you. So I let them uh, pull it up on the app store. I gave them my fingerprint and it. So it's, it's on my phone. It's on my phone. So I, uh, it works okay. It crashes all the time, but that's not too big a deal. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a big deal, though, because it's impossible to log out of the app. What? Yep. The logout button gives you a loading spinner for a second and then tells you you're logged out. And once you do that... <laughs> You can still transfer money. But uh, have you, like, submitted a bug report and given it a zero star rating? I can't can't find the the bug report button. I can only leave a review on the iTunes store. Have you Um, done that? I I gave it a zero star rating. I didn't give it a full... People have already complained about it in the reviews. I didn't feel the need to get another one on there. But um, I even tried changing my password on the web, web portal. The app keeps you logged in. Oh. Oh, no. Yeah. So if anyone ever acquired my phone unlocked, they'd be able to access my banking information at the very least. That's uh, one of the things that you want to have behind an extra layer of security. Like my my banking app has the option to do the fingerprint reader, but I they added that option about the same time as the news that some Android devices fingerprint readers can be circumvented uh that's not good came out um so i i still log in with the fingerprint reader to my phone but everything else that needs some security like LastPass or mm-hmm. mint or my bank those all stay with pins and passwords yeah that's a good idea um i usually well i, I actually uh, have a fingerprint on my last last pass um not because I trust the iOS uh, fingerprint reader, but because I figure that... If they can get through the first layer, they can get through the second? That's the idea, at least. Um, and my phone is locked with a fingerprint, um, but if you restart it, if the phone is off completely and you turn it back on, it'll be a password. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the device will be actually encrypted and stuff like that. So that that's... Um, and LastPass will log you out, delete all the... Uh, caches and all that so um i do turn it off if i'm ever in a risky situation which i really haven't been but (laughs) something like uh you you might want to do it while going through a tsa security checkpoint or something like that um Mm -hmm. entering the entering or leaving the country you should probably turn your phone off because then it's encrypted and stuff but yeah if someone gets into my phone i'm not while it's unlocked they probably have ways of extracting the caches from LastPass, that kind of stuff. Yeah. In in my experience, for the stuff that they have on them, bank apps and websites and things are just awfully insecure. Yeah, that, there's been a lot of, um, uh, I don't want to call them scandals, but they're, because they're not publicized at all, because they're trying to keep it under wraps. But mm-hmm. I've heard all sorts of stuff like um, certificates, um, when you see the HTTPS thing uh mm-hmm. most of the time those certificates will use uh SHA, sha 256 as their encryption algorithm because that's the yeah. one that we haven't 
yeah oh uh, what was the problem with sha1 is it just really easy to crack now it's uh too many collisions is the thing okay yeah but the there was a bank i forget the name but i'm sure it's fixed now but just so don't worry too much but for a while they were taking advantage of google chrome because google chrome if the website doesn't support sha 256 then it'll fall back to a lesser algorithm mm-hmm. and when they would do that it, it, the browser would be like oh no 256 okay we'll just fall back to like uh a uh what's it called the decoder ring sure we'll just fall back to decoder <laughs> rings and <laughs> and the website it it was less resource intensive for the bank to do that oh. to have a lesser algorithm and they would just take advantage of chrome's willingness to do that i'm pretty sure the local bank that i used before i moved um had a maximum character limit on passwords. Yeah, I have one on UW Credit Union as well. Oh, that's... It's it's a big one. It's 32 characters, which is actually pretty good. But the idea is that Shouldn't... otherwise the people are going to forget them and it'll be a mess. Is that the idea? Or is it that if you have a maximum... Because 32 is a very computery number. It's not 30 or 25, which would be more human. Oh, somebody's going to forget this otherwise. Uh, maybe 32 yeah. is we have a maximum limit of how long the string we store is because we aren't hashing our passwords. Oh, I didn't think about that. I I think that's usually oh. what a maximum character limit means. Oh, no. OK. Yeah, we're I'm going to have to look into that, actually, because that's not OK. No. Well, it's not OK. I think you're fine, though, because you use a unique and random password for every account. You're right. Yeah. If well, still, though, if someone got a if someone exported the list of passwords, then they would just get a mm-hmm. bunch of hashes and wouldn't be able to log into accounts without yeah. some serious computer power. But if they're storing guess... in plain text, then it, they could just log in without any additional effort. Yeah. Take solace in the fact that you're probably not the first target on the list in a in a widespread attack oh, on sure. the no. Credit Union. <laughs> no, I so have uh, I don't have enough money to like warrant an attack like that well yeah. maybe i do but who, who i mean if someone is going to try to hack an account it won't be mine because i use really really long passwords so mm. this is a technique you you should all apply listeners if you have a password and it's less than what what would you recommend zach 16 minimum i think i usually do 10 so i oh. <laughs> zach this is not okay um, are they random 10 digits at least yeah yeah there's two that i need to remember and those are i think closer to 14 you should definitely extend the length of those passwords and make them random if I, not, and if not my, random random to anyone else make it something that you can remember maybe but um if anyone looked at your password they wouldn't be able to remember it by a um any memory trick Oh, my, mine are mostly like correct horse battery staple with a number thrown in in the middle of a word for the ones that I do need to remember. See, yeah, that's that's not good because if someone because computers are really well, we have really good algorithms for cracking pa- passwords just like that. And if it's just random, then there's no algorithm to guess random passwords because it's random. It's on my account to sign in for work. It's not one that I'm worried immensely about the security of. Okay. Are they at least different passwords that you have to remember? Yeah. Okay. That's good. Except for my Google account. I really need to fix that. Yeah. 
actually, because I think, yeah, I think my Gmail Google account is still the password I set it up with. No. So if yeah, someone I know, Steven. The forgot your password button and they have access to your email, then they could just reset all your passwords. The whole thing it doesn't work if your Google account isn't a good password. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll go fix that. Okay. Right after the podcast, Zach will be locking himself out of his Google account. A random password is better than a long password, actually. 10 random digits is better than 20 words. 20 di- t- twenty characters in words, I should say. 20 random words. I feel words like 20 would words work. would be pretty... 20 random words would be awesome. But if they're in a sentence, then it's guessable. But you just do like a Bitcoin wallet seed thing and... Yeah, if they're 20, if they're 20 random words, that's just as good as 20 random characters. That's better than 20 random characters. But they have to be random. All right. I I hear you loud and clear. I will make fewer bad decisions in the future. Well, that's one person. More people are making bad decisions, though, Zach. Are they? Yeah. Like I said, I'm going to Madison. And yeah, the credit union is not the only thing about Madison that I don't like. Wow, really? A large institution has some things that aren't great about it? Strangely enough, yeah. So... <laughs> This is a long one. All right. I'm going to rant. Okay. Sorry, listeners. I'm going to rant, though. Strapped in and ready. All right. So I'm going to be attending the College of Letters and Sciences in the fall. Uh, And to help incoming freshmen, Madison has a program called SOAR. S-O-A-R. And SOAR stands for Student Orientation, Advising, and Registration. And the main two points of SOAR is for you to pick your classes for the upcoming semester and to try to calm down the freshmen that are freaking out. Uh, I didn't pay much attention to the, to the latter of those topics because I'm really only excited to go to Madison. I'm not really nervous. So, uh, so that, that was fine. So it was a little boring at times, but, you know, I see the value for sure. Mm-hmm. But picking classes, that process is insane. And in my opinion made even more difficult with the school's use of technology. So, what's the process like? Here's how it goes. For like 45 minutes, they tell you what the boxes on this piece of paper they gave you mean. And it's... Okay, uh, What? I I was agreeing. That's about what it's like here, too. And this paper is just a list of the requirements of the Letters and Sciences College. Mm -hmm. And they... Then they have you sit down with some poor undergrad that tends not to know what they're doing, and you tell them your major. So I told this uh, this girl, and she's I tell her that I'm going to double major computer science and math. Mm-hmm. And she says that, oh, you should take calculus and computer science. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, that was about all that meeting did. Um, and she's like, okay, yeah, the rest is pretty much up to you. And that's not helpful. Well, gee, because thanks. Because there are thousands of classes in Madison. Yeah. How do you expect me to pick six to eight more credits worth of classes from your online list of thousands? In an hour. In an hour. We have an hour to do this. Oh, don't... Okay, so you have a list of all of the requirements to get whatever major you want, right? Yes. How many credits do you need that aren't bespoke? That's the wrong word. That aren't already selected for you. My thought was I'll just get my gen eds out of the way in my freshman and sophomore year and just focus on my major, my junior and senior year. Okay. So pretty much all my classes are required, but not required by my major. It's just what I have to do. 
Yeah. Um, so the only, so the computer science and the calculus class are the only ones that I actually needed to take this semester. Mm-hmm. Technically, I could have taken any of those at any time, but I took them all this year because it seemed like a better idea. Yeah, it, it opens up your options in the future Yeah, as far as prereqs. Uh, so what I ended up doing was finding a few classes in each of the requirement categories and writing down those numbers on a piece of paper uh, so I can just consider all my options later. Mm-hmm. Because this is day one of SOAR and it's a two-day two process. Yeah. Um, and that worked out pretty well. Um, my parents and I went through the list and picked out a first, second, and third choice for each of these classes. Uh, and they day two ro- rolls around. And you mm-hmm. they, they have you start at 8.30 and you have until 9.30 to have picked out all your classes and find a schedule that is reasonable. <sighs> if you don't press the enroll button at exactly 9.30, you won't. You probably won't have the classes you wanted because they're first come, first serve. Yep. This is so incredibly stressful. So after selecting the classes you want, it doesn't prompt you to pick a schedule or anything like that. You have to find the button. It's a little It's a little uh, <laughs> A tag in the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, the undergrads Wait, so are... do, they, do they have, uh, do they have a course planner? Our, my school just rolled out a course planner. So instead of having to, like, draw out a schedule yourself, you can actually select which classes you want and then hit the plan courses for me. And it'll put them all into a weekly schedule for you, yep. depending on what Madison the options has were. That. Madison has that. Okay. Um, but here, here's what happens, Zach. Uh, once you find the scheduling page... It lists a combination of it lists every combination for that schedule. Yeah. For me, that's about 500 possibilities. <laughs> now, this is a more reasonable number if you could filter the results in any way. Yeah, can't you? Nope. They make you scroll through each one trying to find a decent one. Oh, uh, ours we could at least filter by like I don't want Friday classes or Nope. You could put like that. You could block out time. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. So, remember, this is all within an hour. And I should mention also that uh, everyone is doing this at the same time. So the system is super slow. There's got to be a way to block out the time. So, hopefully you've found a schedule that suits you by 9.30. Yeah. Then, you press the enroll button, and you wait, and wait, and wait, and wait, and hope, and wait, and hope, and wait, until the loading icon stops, and it tells you that someone else had the classes you wanted. Yeah. So... You go back to the class picker as fast as you can and try to find your second choice as quickly as possible because you're still competing to get the classes you want. It's Couldn't still you first wait come, first list your second classes? What? Couldn't what you... For us, we just signed up on a bunch of them. For for me, the honors program, um, all of the classes I'm sure are cutthroat. It cut sounds throat, like we could so do you that, could... but I, I'm, it sounds like we could do that, but they told us not to. They told us to do that. They oh. told us to... Get what you wanted first and then go back for it the second time. Okay. So you go back and find the schedule picker again and it tells you that your original 500, op- 500 options are down to 20. <laughs> so as fast as you can, you try to find a passable schedule and then you wait. It tells you your second choice is filled up as two as well, not as two as well. So you're down to your third choice. You see that the system says there's only one combination that will work for that class. Oh my gosh. And you feel strangely grateful that there's at least one that worked. <laughs> this time they went through and you can finally, uh, and you're finally enrolled in your classes and you can relax. And okay. And that's how it felt in my head, at least. Um, it felt very intense. 
needlessly yeah. intense. Like, um, I get this is a, a little bit more fair than doing it alphabetically by name, but like, whoa, this sucks. Yeah. Because it's whoever's computer is fastest gets the class. Yeah. And they make you use the um, school's MacBook Airs, which are running Windows, strangely. That is weird. Why not just get ThinkPad a stack of Lenovo's then? Yeah. So my, my theory is that they were using uh, OS X at some point, and then they decided that was too much work and switched, but they didn't want to have to buy new hardware. Yeah, that makes sense. Or maybe they could dual boot. Yeah, something like that. So, so yeah. did you end up with your first pick or your second pick or? My third pick, which is right. good because I didn't have a fourth pick. I would have just had to scroll through until I found something that sounded interesting. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm taking 17 credits my first semester. Wow. Good luck. Thanks. Although one of them is a, it's a credit for the studio learning environment, learning community in it, uh, that I'm staying in. So mm. it, it'll be something like every Tuesday at five 30, we're gonna go and bake cookies or something or learn about art or whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not a, like it's a, an LLC. It's not like a credit, 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 but it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. But the rest of them so, are pretty legit credits. Broad swaths. What does your schedule look like? Do you have any free days or oh yeah? Chunks I'm of actually time? really. I'm. I, I, I had one combination left, and it actually ended up being a pretty good one. Um, I my first class any day of the week is at ten o'clock. Ten o'clock. <sighs> so no getting up early or anything like that. And on Fridays, <sighs> my first class is at three thirty, which is awesome. All right. That's good. Yeah. And when are your last classes? Um, I don't have the schedule in front of me. I didn't really pay attention to it. Okay. It's in the afternoon. Yeah. What, um, what's your, like at, at my advising, they told us to build in chunks of study time between classes, which I realized after my first semester did not work for me. It is a lot better for me if I can finish all my classes, go to the library and sit down and just plow through stuff. Yeah, that's what I that's what I figured would be good for me too. I have just enough time between my classes to get to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, and every day but Wednesday, I have a small break for lunch. Yeah, on Wednesdays, I guess I'll just eat a Cliff Bar or something. I'm pretty sure you can't buy Soylent bars anymore. Lame. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll just keep a bottle of Soylent where the water bottle usually goes on my bike. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Madison's a big campus. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a 15 minute walk for my two farthest classes. And Madison Madison is also really bike friendly. It has bike lanes yeah. everywhere. And yeah, so. But was how was Milwaukee's course selection? Was it that stressful, I guess? Uh, the the new student orientation one is a lot like that. But I think once you are done with nso or soar whatever it's called um then it's a little easier because it's on your own time and you have the course book ahead of time at my orientation class registration the advisors actually just gave us a list of classes to sign up for the first semester which was really nice we didn't have a big thing to sort through they said hey you probably want to do your computer science one course and your Engineering, you have pretty much everything planned out for you. Computer science is in the engineering school in Milwaukee. Okay. And so there was like maybe one spot of wiggle room. And for most of us, that was taken up by our honors class. Gotcha. So, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a very big question as to what we'd be doing. All right. Yeah. 
Um, so you mentioned that you're going to have pretty late starts for your mornings. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything you're going to do with those late starts, or is it just going to be a lot of sleeping in? Um, well, my roommate and I have similar times where we have to go to classes, so mm-hmm. we'll be waking up at the same time, which is kind of nice, but uh, depending on how he likes to, s- to structure his morning, um, I will be trying to uh, write in the morning, like right as you wake up, basically, sit down with a pen and paper, no phones, no computers, no- nothing buzzing at you, just you mm-hmm. and your pen. And I've been doing this for a little while now, actually, and I read that it it, it is a way of clearing your head and thinking about and you write about anything you don't have to write about um mm-hmm. how your day is going to be it doesn't have to be a journal or anything like that you just write whatever comes to mind and in the morning that's some pretty strange stuff for me <laughs> um and a lot of people say i've heard that um dreams are your brain brain's way of processing the information of the day yep uh this is an extension of that i think a bit more uh, conscious i guess um but it has the same effect i think is just uh figure out what you're what you're thinking about because it's not always as obvious as it may seem mm-hmm. so yeah i try to fill right. up a standard um eight and a half by 11 notebook page a day yeah which is thoughts That's, yeah that sounds good you've been doing it for a couple of weeks uh, now about a week about a week all right and ha- have you felt more clear and more no but i like doing it anyway because it feels good to do i'm not sure about more clear but it feels good so that's good enough for me yeah just and also it gives me an excuse to use my fancy pens so yeah it's it's the only reason to write really anything (laughs) um how do you wake up in the morning do you use an alarm on your phone and then turn off the alarm set it aside somewhere and then write I wake up, I turn my alarm off, I put it in airplane mode, and walk downstairs to our kitchen table. And from there, I take my pen and my paper, and I write. And after I'm done, I turn my phone back on, and uh, start making breakfast, that kind of stuff. Okay. So yeah, it's the first thing I do in the morning, besides walk walk downstairs. (laughs) I should probably do that. Honestly, I should just leave my phone in airplane mode. (laughs) Um, the, the thing with me is I have a lot more hectic mornings than I have hectic nights. Oh yeah. And a lot of times my, my journal tends to fill that function. Maybe it's a little different because your brain is different at different times of the day, but I usually do about one paragraph at the very top of conventional journaling where I write about my day and that serves then as a jumping off point of the things I've been thinking about or whatever's been bothering me. Or if I feel like the most important thing is just all of the stuff that happened i can get into it in more detail that makes sense um i tend to be exhausted when it's time for me to journal and i don't always want to do it uh Mm -hmm. so that leads leads to some either poor journaling or not journaling at all yeah the the thing i really need to work on is keeping my phone on airplane mode while I'm journaling, whether it's in the morning or at night, I suppose. Yeah. And also not having my computer even open. Yeah. That would be. I, I journal on my laptop, but I um, but I do try to minimize distractions when doing it. I won't mm-hmm. be multitasking when I'm journaling. And 
or, or anything like that. So, as you were saying, um, or as we were both saying, we need to work on focusing on things a little more. Or I do, and you do it pretty well. Uh, <laughs> so, I, we talked before about how you adopted modality, which is just that stuff gets put into different modes, like airplane mode or search mode. Um, but at a didn't really know if you how you used it like do you actually put your phone into airplane mode when it's an airplane mode task um i have been really bad at adopting modality okay because i still just tend to use my well maybe this will change once school year starts but i don't have all that much stuff to do Mm. so uh i'm still using my flagging system so when i uh, open up uh, OmniFocus, I just click on the flagged button, and this is a list of things that I could be doing right now. Yeah. Um, and they're from all different types of modes, and during the school year, I tend to have lists. Uh, uh, probably it'll fill up, fill up a page of just tasks that I could be doing right now. And it tends to work pretty well, but right now it's it's less than a, ha- less than a half of the page most of the time. Don't you... Um... Doesn't OmniFocus actually have like a next action kind of thing? That's something I've been wanting for so long in Todoist. What do you mean by next action thing? Like you can set tasks to be sequential. Like, um, yes, for yes. example, my that's a really awesome vlogs feature. Yeah, that I do. I can't edit them all into one big thing until I've imported them. Right. Right. So it'd be nice to just have edit pop up once I'm done importing. But it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. It just... That's one of the things I do for the podcast is I have a list of our topics and I write little notes about them. And I put that list in OmniFocus in a sequential form and flag the whole list. So it won't show up on my flags list unless it unless it is the top of the list. So mm-hmm. as I knock them off, more appear in the flag list, which actually at times can be like uh, disheartening, I guess, when you're the point of the to-do list is like you get to click the box and then one thing's off your list but then another one just comes back on but most of the time Mm -hmm. it's actually okay it's just reminding me what i have to do and i know in the back of my head that actually is going away yeah and uh the worst thing is omnifocus uh doesn't erase the task right away you um there's a little cleanup button that'll take away all the completed tasks and the tasks that you don't need anymore but mm-hmm. until you click push the cleanup button or you switch views or something the tasks are still there they're just checked off and that's so you can see them and be proud of yourself but the, yeah. the list if the flagged list if it's in sequential order the <laughs> tasks will actually get longer yeah <laughs> as you complete stuff so um and also just last episode you were talking about how things it, it felt like there needed to be a couple more categories and I've noticed that more. I just can't put it into any better words than what you had last episode. Yeah. So, in progress. <laughs> um, is this the episode where we release a, uh, a, a uh, white paper of sorts on how to use it? No, I, I think when I do it, I'm going to make it a website, kind of like bullet journaling did a website. Okay. And I, I still don't feel like it's nailed down enough to do that. Okay. Uh, then we will keep you guys updated if you're and you know let us know if you are using modality and your experiences with it um yeah because we love to hear yeah 
It'll just, it'll only help other people. So if not for us, then for charity. <laughs> Won't help you, just other people. Well, it'll help you too. But like, if you already <laughs> have a system and it's not working for you, then you say, hey, Zach, it's not working for me and tell us why. Yeah, I'd love to be a capital S system guy. Uh, one of the things that I noticed while I was experimenting with modality is that I have a bunch of projects in my OmniFocus, and they're all actual projects. They're uh, the water tracker app, they're worrying bugs, um, some more things that we're keeping a secret for now. And I, except I, for this I think one. we can use the, the code name, right? Oh, is yeah, it the codenamed uh, one? Can you pronounce it for me so I don't screw it up? I think it's Mabinoji. Mabinoji, okay. Uh, so yeah, I have stuff, I have projects like water, the water tracker app, worrying bugs, project Mamagoni, shoot. (laughs) Project Zamboni. Um, (laughs) Secret project Mabinoji. Secret project Mabinoji. 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 That's going to be tough. I'm going to have to like write that down phonetically in the (laughs) project list. Um, but Anyway, uh, except for this one, there's one project in my project list that is not an actual thing. It's just a chores list. Things that mm-hmm. I need to do that aren't necessarily, don't really fit into any other, um, any other project. Um, but no more, no more. We're good. I have downloaded Do, the Do app from the App Store. And that's like, this is due on Tuesday, not like mm-hmm. water on grass in the morning do okay uh and so the do app will be acting as my chores list for the foreseeable future and do has some interesting features uh the one i like the most is the persistent reminders um at first i was really annoyed with it but then i thought that if i just did the thing it was yelling at me to do it would stop buzzing (laughs) at me which i i understand is the point but i it was weird at first because usually to-do lists are like hey uh clean the dishes or whatever um and it does it once and then if you just ignore it it doesn't do anything about it but if you ignore the do app then it keeps buzzing at you to get you to do it that's my my current relationship with the water tracker app if you just yeah if you just drink the water it'll stop buzzing at you yeah (laughs) how how's that been going by the way water tracking um it's good that it reminds me i don't think i'm at 100 percent all days but it it I drink more water because of it, which is the goal. Yeah, yeah, right. I usually get to my. How about na- you? I usually get to my ninety-five ounces. Seventy-five percent of the time, I get to hundred percent. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, and the other twenty-five percent, I usually get at least halfway, and very rarely do I not drink any water in a day. That's good. Yeah. And when I do, I feel bad. I, not feel bad like. Oh man, I'm disappointed in myself. It's like I legitimately do not feel as healthy if I don't drink the water. Mm-hmm. And now this app can tell you why. Yeah, and it can tell me. Well, I can infer from the information it's giving me why I feel the way I do. And I'm sure it's partly placebo. Um, I don't think not drinking the entirety of my water goal every day uh, for a day is going to affect my health that much. But it is the same as like brushing your teeth in the morning it feels gross not to but not because Mm. it's actually gross just because you have associated that feeling of brushing your teeth with being clean and if you don't get that feeling you don't feel clean i mean my mouth feels gross i did i I don't (laughs) think that's i think that's an actual thing more than a placebo for me at least 
maybe. Um, I actually the this is something I learned from a book called The Power of Habit, and the foaming of toothpaste and shampoo yeah. and a lot of soaps doesn't actually have any cleaning effects. It is only to get yourself a habit. Get it's not a habit per se, but it's a the companies are training you to think clean when you think of when you get that foamy feeling in your mouth Mm -hmm. and without that foamy feeling you would not feel as clean even though it's the toothpaste is doing the same stuff can you buy a toothpaste somewhere that doesn't have the foamy stuff i doubt it because they go out of business pretty quick because people would think it's not working when it really is probably doing just as well i think one company at least could probably survive because that the foamy stuff is actually the same stuff that um makes orange juice taste weird yeah, I think that's probably true. Like I've heard that it wouldn't before. affect. Yeah, yeah, I think it was um no such thing as a fish. Hmm. Which is another podcast that you could possibly listen to if you like weird facts from British people. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's it's a good review. You were talking about uh, using do to keep track of things that aren't projects, mm-hmm. and I've been I think slowly leaning towards that. I have grocery lists that i keep in todoist and that just feels wrong yeah no that feels very wrong and i think i use a i have accidentally fallen into a um getting things done like system for my omnifocus and it just felt like the chores and apparently grocery lists and stuff like that would just clutter it up Mm mm-hmm like, if I want to sit down and do work, I don't want to have to be pestered by something telling me to do laundry or something. I want to sit down and work on worrying bugs or the water tracker. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it doesn't fit the same way to have my grocery list pop up on the list of tasks that don't have a due date. Right, right. Or, like, my books to read. That could probably be moved somewhere else because... I. Anytime I need to make an exception to my custom filters, I should probably think about why that's a project in Todoist and not its own thing. Yeah. Uh, it, do you have a reason to not keep it your grocery list in Evernote or uh, uh, OneNote or something? I was already in Todoist. Okay. That just is. It's it's easier because I already have the little loop of anytime I think of a thing I need to do, I tap the add a task on Todoist button on my phone. Right. Right. So, yeah. I, I guess I'll look into it. For sure. I I didn't expect to be the kind of person with two to-do apps, but I guess we're both, you're there and I'm approaching it. So what's the level past that? Um, I think having, this could be completely ridiculous, but it, it might be having a to-do list for different ty- types of projects. <laughs> okay yeah because like worrying bugs the type of project it is for me is i add things to research to the list and at once we have finished recording i add uh edit the podcast or edit the audio or something to the list and upload it and stuff Mm -hmm. and but for water tracker water tracker is basically just a list of uh features and improvements i'm planning to make yeah and once I actually start working on those things, then I'll start adding to-dos under them, uh, nested in them, I guess, for actually how to do that. 
Steven, it sounds like you could use Trello for that. That sounds like the kind of thing that Trello would really be built for. I don't know what Trello is. Trello is a Kanban to-do system online. Oh, well, also I don't want it to be online. Uh, well, online the way that Todoist or OmniFocus is. Okay, but okay, it, it, but, but is it only in a web client? Is Because I'm not cool with that. I'm pretty sure you can get... Uh... I'll find out. All right. Well, I already spent 40 bucks on OmniFocus. I'm not... <laughs> and it's working really well for me, so I'm not going to change it too much I'm, if I can avoid it. Okay. Apps. Um, it's in, in browser and also on device. Okay. So Android and iPhone and iPad and Slack are the places that it goes. Uh, I don't know. I don't like that. I The web client model is not... I mean, I understand why you would do it, and I understand why it's good for a lot of people. But I just, I like it on my dock and I like it in a native app and it should have its own window and it shouldn't be in Chrome because if I close Chrome, I will still want to be able to look at my, um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Also, right. it, it doesn't work with the modality because airplane mode would not let you use it, use your to-do it's list. The most frustrating thing that there isn't an, uh, inbox by Gmail client that's well-made on windows. Yeah. Stuff like that. I don't know. Native apps just, they're inherently better than the web apps unless they're poorly don't, made. Don't go saying that. I'm i am here using Todoist for Windows 10 and strongly disagreeing. Okay, well, <laughs> good point, actually, because they, the, the thing is, if a lot of time and effort is put into making a native client, then that native client should be better than the same amount of effort put into a web client mm -hmm. because you don't have to load stuff from the web that often yeah but yeah all right so there's i i seriously do think that keeping track of bugs and new things like that is exactly what trello is suited for <laughs> yeah i'm sure it is but Okay, we'll, we'll just keep experimenting with Do and OmniFocus for now. And <laughs> if if I decide to uh, make another app and make a bunch of different apps, which is not the least likely thing, actually, I could, I might consider using Trello. But for now, I'm going to stick with OmniFocus and Do. All right. But Trello's next, I'm telling you. Or All Kanban right. of some sort. That's Zach's prediction. Um Listeners, we will be creating a betting pool on the web. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not doing that. I'm pretty sure that's illegal, actually. Uh, is it? Uh, it's yeah, gambling, I think you need to it's be gambling a... on something I have free will about. So you, you can't gamble on it, and you can't be associated with anyone who gambles on it. But someone yeah. could gamble on it. Well, here's the thing. It, uh, I read a story a while ago, and there was a... Or no. What, maybe I heard... It was on a podcast or something. Um, there was a... Yeah, it was Hello Internet, Hello, another yeah. one by people living in Britain with weird facts sometime, sometimes. Isn't Brady in Australia? Or he's Australian. He's from Australia. And he's Australian. He's Australian, but he lives yeah, north okay. of London. That's right. Um, anyway, uh, they were talking about gambling and some weird things that people gamble on. And they gambled on whether or not... Um, the backup goalie or something would eat a sandwich or something like that. Yep. And he knew about it and he waited for the camera to be on him and ate a sandwich. And now he's in it a It was a, a meat pie, if I recall. But yeah. 
Yeah, something like that. It's it's something really weird, and people lost a bunch of money on it. But and he mm. didn't have any stake in it. He didn't bet on himself or anything. But he was just entertained by the fact that they would bet on something like that. So he took a bite of a meat pie. But he's in a ton of trouble now because you can't do that. You can't affect the. You can't knowingly affect the uh, uh, something that people are gambling on. Okay. I think is the so rule. So listeners, create a betting pool, but don't tell us about it until after. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Maybe I even I think even saying listeners create a, create a betting pool is illegal. Actually, not not listeners. <laughs> don't create a betting pool and then tell us about it after the fact. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Do actually only has a their uh their phone app and their computer app are sold separately mm-hmm. and i didn't bother getting the computer app because most my chore list is, and that's what i'm using to do for, uh that's what i'm using do for uh i really only need on my phone and i don't want it on my computer at all um so i've been spending a tiny bit more time on my phone um and because of that i have been messaging a bit more you have actually no <laughs> But a valiant attempt. Though. I'm trying to segue, so just take yeah. my attempt and run with it. Well, no, but I actually was interested because a lot of times I message less frequently if I'm sitting there doing something on my phone hmm. and a notification pops up. I'm less likely to respond because I'm already busy with something on my phone. Uh, I suppose, but m- my thought is always if I'm doing something on my phone, it's probably not that important and I can stop anyway. That's true. You're right. I but- have subpar impulse control (laughs) um anyway you were trying to to neatly segue into messaging and i got uh sidetracked okay this is this is gonna be a long one now it's time for you to strap in okay strapping in the past like eighth grade or something i always thought that I would be considered actively and positively contributing to a conversation if I was the last one to send a message. Oh, um, no. Which which meant my Facebook was good, all checked off, if all the conversations with people most recently had a message from me. Um, okay. I, I, I can think see you can see where this is going. Sense. Yeah. It, it leads to a lot of me saying, yeah, cool. Or other things that are of about the same substance, mm-hmm. which got into this weird game of like conversational hot potato, where they might also <laughs> respond, yeah, and and now what are we gonna do? Because I've got to respond with something, but we both just said yeah. So how's this gonna work out? Um, <laughs> oh boy! So it was it was fine by me, I guess, if a conversation died of not having anything important being said in it so long as i was the one who dealt the killing blow (laughs) i think you can tell from my tone of voice i don't quite agree with that philosophy anymore well that's good at least but i i think i did swing too far the other way oh yeah you just let people talk and not respond well, let people talk, and then sometimes sometimes I'll take a couple days to respond. I've got a text from my coworker from like three days ago that I've been meaning to respond to. I just haven't for no particular reason. Will you have responded by Monday uh, by Wednesday? Yes. Okay. Well, then I think 
maybe does your coworker listen? No. Why not? Uh, that's your fault. Because <laughs> up up until recently, he was like a level above me in the hierarchy. Oh, so okay. I, I don't know. I, right. You're forgiven. <laughs> um, the, but but now I don't really have as much of a like a, a dogma to it. It's just I respond when I remember to. Or sometimes I'll have to add a to-doist item of respond to all the texts I've been getting. H- how do you do it, Stephen? Well, I, I have, I wrote down a list, actually, um, for my philosophies for each platform, because it's different, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. uh, for email, uh, I have I have a list. It, it's a two-column list, and it's platform and average response time since initial read. Yeah. Uh, for email, there's a good chance that I'll never respond. <laughs> Because I, for whatever reason, me and email just don't get along. Yeah. Um, I try my best to take note and respond. But the other thing with email is that you can't send off quick messages like text texts. Uh, if mm-hmm. you get sent an email, I feel obligated to send them a... If I'm going to respond, it has to be a long response because I have the ability to send a long, long response. Well, one of the things that I've heard somewhere uh, was making the choice to limit all of your emails to five sentences, not including like, hello and sincerely. Hmm. But that if you add that to your signature, like, hey, I'm I'm deliberately making this five sentences and you get all of the things you mean to say into those five sentences, you're... So you put it in your you're signature? Being... Like, hey, by the way, I don't want to have to respond that for that long. <laughs> Well, it, it's not that you don't want to have to respond. That's part of it, is that it increases the likelihood you'll respond because there's less expected. Yeah. And it also decreases how much of their time you're trying to take up by sending an email. Like, I especially I do this if I'm sending an email to a professor. Mm-hmm. Because well, professors, here, yeah. Well, here's the thing, Zach, is that I have been doing this for a long time and not responding to emails well for a long time. So anyone who's emailing me has a pretty good idea of when I'm going to respond. So I've cultivated this culture around me where people, if they want to know something about me or if, if they want to know something from me, they'll send me a text or uh, okay. a non-email communication because I'll probably see the email. And if they want it, if they want to tell me information and don't re- expect a response, they'll email me. Mm-hmm. But if they need a yeah, they email, need a conversation, email's good if you need to search back on it and get some information. Yeah, and th- I mean that obviously doesn't work for everyone, and probably doesn't even work for me that well. But it is how my my life's been going, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, for text, uh, my average response time is uh, seconds to single digit minutes, uh, depending on how much thought I have to put into the response. If it's with a friend, probably not that much, uh, especially if it's conversational. But if I yeah. am texting someone who I haven't like talked to in a long time, yeah, a oh, boss okay. or com- someone I haven't talked to in a long time, and don't I send an initial very long response, a uh, very long message or response, mm-hmm. um, and then allow it to shrink down to something more conversational mm-hmm. over a few texts. Um, uh other platforms i use uh facebook messenger um no one really uses facebook messenger with me so it's weird if someone does so i do it immediately 
I just drop okay, everything yeah. and go to Facebook Messenger because no one uses it. <laughs> and it, if it, if they're using it, that means that in my head, at least, that it's something weird and important. It it usually isn't, but it, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I associate it that way. Um, Snapchat, if it's one on one, um, it's a low priority to read. So if I'm doing other things, then I don't need to respond to your Snapchat because it's a Snapchat and doesn't require attention right away. Yeah. But once I read it, they know I read it, so I have to respond right away. Okay. Uh, group chats on Snapchat have an even lower priority in both cases. Um, it has more of an email kind of feel to me. Like, I could, I'm just watching this conversation rather than actively partaking unless I, there is something for me to actively partake in. Yeah, it's it's like that for me with Facebook group chats as well. Yeah, I I use the Snapchat group chat because that's really the only platform I use group chats on. Mm-hmm. Um, did any of that help? <laughs> that's all I wrote down. That sounded I wasn't really sure what you wanted. Yeah, that sounded a lot more like observation on what has naturally come up than any specific. Yeah, it was mentality around sure. it. Um, I I think if you are looking for a good way to just respond to people the best way is to just do it Uh, there's not a better way to do it there's not a better way to say it i guess i just if you feel that you need to respond to this person then you should just do it and don't worry about the awkwardness or the or even the oh my gosh it's been two weeks since i've since i received the email i can't reply now because then it's weird that i haven't responded and because guaranteed they do the same thing and they understand Mm -hmm. we're all human yeah and yeah it kind of sucks to have to interact with people sometimes but it's not that bad most of the time Mm -hmm. all right some good advice remember everyone's human and it will be easier to text You know, sometimes some people talk over probably messaging platforms, but probably also face-to-face. Um, and those people might be uh, hackers, and those people might be scientists as well. And sometimes the hackers and the scientists will talk. Yeah. And you know what happens when malicious intent gets combined with uh, high intelligence? Bad stuff. Bad stuff happens when that happens. Bad stuff. So... Some hackers and some scientists have synthesized DNA to hack DNA databases. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, no. Um, I don't know how oh, no, it really is. I mean, I feel like it's oh, no. It's really not that big of a deal, but it's really cool, mostly. Yeah, it's super awesome. If it was used maliciously, it would have been really bad, but I don't think I think it was more of a proof of concept. It was by a university research team. Yeah. And the idea is that you have a database full of DNA samples and you are and they're recorded with the um the letters of the DNA in a certain order. Mm-hmm. The uh I took biology, it's uh it's A T G and C? Yeah, those are the right Adenine thymine thymine uh guanine and the c1 cytosine okay cytosine and guanine yeah there we go look at us we know stuff (laughs) um but so yeah uh they performed a an exploit of these databases because the databases are supposed to be like not online or anything they're not 
supposed to be access accessible from the internet. So, mm-hmm. and it's just somebody entering in the data. They just take the DNA sample, they run it through the machine, and the machine puts it in the database. And there's a lot of trust there because they're thinking they're not uh they're not cleansing the input because they don't need to. It's just DNA. Yeah. No one's going to be typing in an exploit because they can't. It's just DNA. And that's fine. Yeah, that's a reasonable assumption. Right? Until the average hacker gets access to CRISPR, I yeah. think we're all right. But yeah, basically they took some DNA and, well, they synthesized DNA to be the right combination of those letters until it uh, it 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 exploited the utility and accessed the shell of the database. Mm-hmm. And from and there... I think, I think that it was a buffer overflow attack. Probably. Which just means they wrote more information than they were supposed to be able to, and some of it ended up being the virus. Yeah, and when the virus gets out of its little container, then it can wreak havoc. Yeah. So yeah, it's something to consider. Um, I think next time that some university students probably not, but maybe uh, in the future when you're make when they're making databases to store information about things that that the average user doesn't have actual input in, like uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, like maybe uh, okay, weather data. Here's a here's a yeah here's a situation. Um, there's a, I'm not sure if this is true, but if there were a database full of weather information and you have a bunch of weathermen all over the country, weather women, maybe, um, and you trusted them to take accurate data and to enter it in just as numbers, because that's what you'd do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're doing some research on these numbers and it's just a database. But if one of those whether people had, say, if they stuck a, a malicious flash drive into their computer, that could be bad for your database. It, and they wouldn't do it on purpose, but they would do it nonetheless. Mm-hmm. I think um, that getting somebody to use a, a bad USB drive is a lot of work. That just sounds overly complex. We really, really? need to... Um, yeah, we need to reinvest in our cloud seeding programs and just really get the get the weather data infected that way. Okay. Yeah, if you could create a a series of weather that would hack the database, that would be much more impressive than synthesizing DNA. <laughs> but um, no, I, I think it was a Mr. Robot episode actually where. Uh, someone just infected a bunch of USB drives with uh, an exploit and just th- threw them in the parking lot, mm-hmm. just spread them out and hope someone in the company would pick a- pick one of them up and plug it in, in which they did, and they were allowed to exploit their computer. I'm pretty sure that that's not only a uh, Mr. Robot episode, but it's also a thing that actually happened at Stanford or Princeton or yeah something like that but UC Berkeley somewhere they actually did that and I think half the USB drives ended up plugged in at some point uh yeah don't pick up USB drives they're like needles yeah or if you do get get a like separate Linux box 
to test them on and reformat them yeah don't connect them to a network um you know it's yeah it treat a usb drive like like what it like what it is it's uh it's a, a thing that can be universally plugged into almost any computer and it could have come from somewhere bad it and it could also trick your computer into thinking that it's a keyboard or a mouse or it could it could do all sorts of stuff it's really bad so if you see a usb drive leave it where it is throw it away it won't give you aids but it will give you a virus yeah um i think i think the most important lesson to take from this um dna hacking stuff is that if you're going to be inputting dna from anywhere make sure that the whole process is sanitized <laughs> that was beautiful thank you <laughs> Sanitizing inputs is a term that just, yeah, just trust us. It. It's funny. <laughs> when they were inputting those DNA samples, I bet they carried those um, the samples in a plastic tube or something, but probably plastic, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, and, and plastic is actually used for carrying all sorts of stuff, including your... Uh, retail items in chicago yeah mo- most places really yeah but specifically in chicago because chicago has a bag tax a plastic bag tax mm-hmm. which uh and it's about seven cents per bag that is sold in a retail store in chicago yeah uh and the intent is to reduce the use of wasteful pa- plastic bags uh so when a store gives you a bag to carry your purchases in uh, seven cents is added to your bill. Uh, two cents yep. goes back to the business, and the other five cents goes to the city of Chicago. And according that... to most polls of retailers and customers, the use of plastic bags is actually going down. So it seems like it's working. Yeah. Um, it was just uh, I had not been to Chicago since they implemented the bag tax and went uh a few weeks ago, and. They said, "Would you like to? Would you like a plastic bag?" And I was like, "Sure." And you know, it's going to be seven cents on your on your bill, right? And I'm like, "What? Oh yeah, the bag tax, man. What? Where have you been? I've been not Chicago, <laughs> um, Wisconsin. Yeah, pretty much. But um, yeah, apparently it's uh, it's, it's supposed to bring in nine point two million dollars in additional revenue for the city, but uh, critics are saying that it's not even a quarter of that so far." But at the same time, the less revenue that's generated by the bag tax, the less bags are used. So that's good. Yeah, I, it, it's a win-win. Either people keep using plastic bags and the city gets money for funding its programs, or people don't use plastic bags. And the city is no worse city off, is or not very much worse off, at least. Um, yeah, I first heard about that when I was in Santa Fe. They also have a bag tax because especially in the artsy part of santa fe they really work hard to maintain this like pueblo adobe hut <laughs> culture and yeah. that would be kind of yeah. ruined if you had a bunch of plastic bags floating around that makes sense so a lot a lot of places just didn't even sell them and the ones that did would charge an extra five cents or whatever it was one of the things about uh the the city is short about seven million dollars is the thing Oh. Because of the bag tax, they planned to have um, that nine million dollars, and they spent money. They spent that money, 
Oh. Yeah, and that's that's why it's not the best if people stop using plastic bags is because if you can't the city has to plan to make money and then they spend that money how they see fit, but if they don't actually make that money back, that's an issue. Mhm. So yeah, that was about it. Yeah. I'm I'm wondering is there anything else that any other consumer item I guess that we could do that with? I think we already taxed cigarettes to heck because they're not great. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's been uh, exhausted, I think. Yeah. So you were talking about cigarettes, and speaking of vices, um, you may think that alcohol is the perfect way to heal a broken heart. As a matter of fact, it's not. It's peptides. <laughs> uh, okay, um, so hearts <laughs> sometimes sustain injuries, um... And when they heal, like any other muscle, they create scar tissue to fix whatever was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, scar tissue sometimes has adverse effects on the workings of the heart because the heart isn't like any other mu- muscle. It's it doesn't just uh, it it does contract and expand like other muscles do. Except this this muscle has tubes going through it and stuff, so it can't yeah. just fill in with scar tissue because it has to have areas where there's not supposed to be scar tissue um yeah but so this sometimes has some adverse effects on heart on your heart after so if you sustain an injury to your heart you're not out of the woods after you have been uh uh resurrected isn't the right word uh revived there we go after you've been revived because when you because you could still the the scar tissue could still mess up your heart stem cells to the rescue yeah um, they, they usually help yeah drug companies are in the trial stages actually of an injection that will help to heal hearts without any of the typical symptoms of healing with scar tissue which is super exciting yeah okay so this is about like an actual heart injury caused by something not i i kind of thought it was uh just age-related heart issues uh yeah if you if your heart get if you get stabbed or something in a freak lawnmower accident i don't know i'm making stuff up but um why would a lawnmower be there steven i I don't know it's a freak lawnmower accident it's not supposed to be okay yeah it's not it's not a common thing so the the nut fell off and the lawnmower spinner went flying as the lawnmower tipped on its side yeah you you were trying to cut a cut on a hill right yeah. And you did the bad thing where you go across the hill and not up and down it because it's a really long hill. Yeah. And the lawnmower tipped over right as the nut fell off. The blade went towards the hill and the angular momentum of the of the blade hit the hill at the precise time to send it flying back at you and hit you in the heart area. But not so much in the heart area that you died in immediately. Wow, that... Ow, I'm in a lot of pain and really wish I could make all of this issue with my heart with this giant blade sticking out of it. I wish I could make it better somehow, Stephen. Well, luckily for you, there was an ambulance right there when it happened. That's convenient. Yeah, and they uh, removed the blade and they patched you up and they took you to the hospital and got you into surgery fast enough to um, keep you alive and that was really unfortunately morbid i'm sorry (laughs) but you're alive zach so yeah but it doesn't mean 
you're out of the woods because you survived surgery and you're all good, except now you have all the scar tissue in your heart. But yeah, that... once this trial is over and once they just declare it safe to use, uh, right after surgery, the doctor can give you an injection in your heart of some stem cells. Well, couldn't, couldn't I also get into the trial, perhaps? Perhaps, I feel yeah. like they yes, you might be in want of people who have this kind of heart issue and, and have, I would be just the guy. Yeah, I mean, how many people are really in freak lawnmower accidents? Me. Yeah, just you. Okay, so hopefully that doesn't happen to you listeners, but if it does, you could participate in this trial, hopefully. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I am... I, it's just I, another I never... step towards uh, stem cell effective healing, I guess. Mm-hmm. I never feel like I have enough of a base with biology to get like super excited about all of the new stuff happening in the world of biology and health science. I'd agree with that. But yeah. when other people tell me about it, I'm always very excited. You know, uh, if if you if your life is is extended with uh stem cells zach um mm-hmm. you might want to take a break from school and you know travel the world and see things because you just ha- caught a lucky break this is a sign yeah that was that was uh i my life flashed before my eyes and i saw that i just haven't quite lived enough i need to yeah. go you need to go travel the world. the world yeah um unfortunately for you zach um not everyone speaks the world English. is in other languages yeah the <laughs> uh how do you have a way to travel the world while um but remain uh, for now uh shoot i screwed this up um i had a good it was good until i screwed it up so anyway i'm still paying off my medical bills but i want to be prepared to travel the world oh perfect perfect yeah um so so one of the ways that i've been preparing to travel the world actually has been uh trying to learn swedish which i think i've talked about a little bit before a little bit yeah but um, I've been using Duolingo, which is a app for phones and computers that teaches you languages. It's kind of like Rosetta Stone, but free. That's helpful. Yeah. Um, and, and now that I have a bit of understanding with the base of that language, I've also started learning Swedish with podcasts. Whoa. Uh, How'd you yeah. do that? Because... Because I get a lot of information already through podcasts, and because I'm interested in Sweden and the Swedish language, I figured I would try to get that information through podcasts as well. Okay. What happened is I just looked up Sweden to see what would come up, and the first couple of results were Radio Sweden, and they have some news stories in English, which is really cool, but a couple of them, um, they've got, yeah, one track for English stories... And then one track is uh, Radio Sweden Poalat Svenska, which is just in the language of Swedish. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I don't listen to that every day. I have my podcast thing set up so that it just downloads the most recent one and gets rid of all the other ones. Uh, so there's not, I don't have any expectation that I'm going to be listening to a lot of them. But every once in a while when it gets into the feed of autoplaying podcasts, then okay, I cool. listen to it. Um, I knew a while um, back, uh, NPR did a, uh, that I don't remember it, it was a, it was way back. It was before podcasts. It was all on radio, but when broadcasting in other countries, they would use a 
simple English version of the hmm. um, of of the radio show, where they would basically re-record the show, but this time only using simple English words. Yeah, um, which is I thought was really cool. Uh, instead of expecting people to learn the language completely, they would just make it easier for them to hear the news stories from NPR to, mm-hmm. but for people who don't speak speak English completely. I'm sure there were, uh, I'm, that was a different, oh shoot, I'm trying to remember what time period that was. Because I, yeah. I think it was like a, you know what it could have been was Cold War era, and mm-hmm. this was to show um, possibly uh, communist countries what's happening outside of their bubble. Ah. Uh, potentially communist countries is what I meant. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm not sure about. Don't, listeners, please don't quote me on that. But sounds accurate. Yeah, it could be something that happened. I kind of remember that. Mm-hmm. So I, because Radio Sweden already has an English program, I feel like they probably don't do a simple Swedish as well. Yeah. Uh, which which means I'm stuck with more complex sentence structures and that kind of thing. So so far, about all I've gathered is that there might be something toxic in Norway's mushrooms, <laughs> and uh. Swedish professor is doing something with rainwater. Those are the two stories I've been able to get enough words on so far. <laughs> well, um, so is this a tactic you would uh, suggest to other people? Because I, I know that a, an effective way of learning a language is to just go to that country and start learning and try yeah. to le- uh, trial by fire kind of thing-ish. But is this an effective alternative to going to sweden probably not an effective alternative but a good middle step between courses and being there okay cool um the other thing that was nice about it and the reason that i'm listening to a news broadcast and not like a worrying bugs type show but in swedish is that news broadcasters speak in a much more controlled manner and make sure every word is audible and tend not to use slang. So they're the kind of words that I would learn in... That makes sense. But, Zach, yeah. are you saying we don't speak clearly enough? That's ridiculous. I think we speak clearly, but also sometimes don't form our sentences quite right. And I sometimes don't know what you're talking about. You, uh, don't, we certainly don't avoid idioms where I'm... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, we make up our own idioms and expect you to know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, if, the, if this podcast is hard for English listeners to follow, it's probably impossible for non-native English listeners. So thank you, dear listeners. We really appreciate it. <laughs> we do. Uh, last I heard, you were trying to learn sign language. So have you considered a sign language podcast? Uh, considered it, yes. Um... <laughs> Strangely enough, there are very few sign language related podcasts, and if they do exist, I haven't looked at all, Um, but if they do exist, I imagine that they are about the community and culture and not so much about the language. Uh, So yeah, if you do want to reach us about anything we talked about today in the podcast or uh, bring some idea to our attention... You can reach us at Twitter, on Twitter. On Twitter is the terminology you use. And then you say, I'm at the puns guy. 
And I'm at not Stephen Barry. Uh, now we're going to move into... Oh, nope, not, not now we're going to move into... If you want to go on iTunes and leave a rating and a comment or, you know, whatever whatever podcatcher you decide to use, we would greatly appreciate that. So we're actually going to move into uh, our section discussing ReamD after this. But before that, we want to let you know that we're pretty much on the last little chunk of it. So if you have a recommendation for what book to do next... Uh, be sure to let us know on Twitter. Maybe we'll do a little straw poll or something if there's enough interest. Uh, my personal suggestion is The Baron in the Trees. It's recommended a lot by Tim Ferriss. Okay, yeah. Um, my recommendation is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Carnegie. Carnegie, yep. And that's a pretty short one. That's a pretty short book. Do you know how many pages? No, I mean, you don't because it's on Audible. Yeah, it's like seven and a half hours compared to ReamD, which is, hold on, I should, I think ReamD is much longer than that. 285, so about the same length as um, Baron of the Trees. Okay, yeah, ReamD is like 30, 38 and a half hours. If you want to put in your vote for either of those books or recommend us another one, uh, you can reach us at Twitter. You can also reach us at Twitter to tell us just about anything else, um, probably about the podcast. But really, I'm I'm down to be tweeted at for most things. Yeah, find a good uh, stump. Please tweet at me. Please tell Zach your best toast recipe. Sure, do it. I will compile them all. Uh, make a big book of toast recipes. Just let me know. All right, and here we go into Reem D up to page six hundred eighty-two or day seventeen. Uh, so right away, Zula says that her situation being chained to her ankle to the back of that truck is better than her situation in China. Do you think she's yes. right? She has more, at least the illusion of control over things. I mean, I don't know, because that's, I was thinking like with Ivanov, she had the, uh, I'm the only one who can get you your troll. Mm -hmm. With Jones, she has, I'm kind of the only one who can get you over the canadian border yeah but he could totally find another way to get over the canadian border it's not there's not a wall mm -hmm. i i think there's also that with the russians there were all of the security consultants who are trained in a wide number of things including keeping somebody chained somewhere and the jihadists are much more focused on training how to make bombs yeah so i i don't know i i in that moment, at least, her situation was, in my opinion, not as good as her situation in China. Because also in China, she's around a bunch of people. Granted, the people don't understand her or anything, but they would understand mm -hmm. a scream for help. But she's in the middle of nowhere, it seems like, at this situation. Yeah. In, yeah. I, I'm not sure. I At this point, a lot of Zula's stuff seemed to kind of be like, slightly going crazy because she's been stuck on her own or mostly on her own for a couple days now yeah but she's her deduction skills are still top-notch yeah she figured out that Sokolov is still alive and then in addition to that she deduced how he deduced that she was still alive yeah so yeah i thought that was quite impressive that was it was really cool 
But as she was being chained to that hitch, I realized that just every other bit of literature I've read has led me to believe one of the, the one of these terrorists is going to turn out to be a nice dude and he's going to be the one to set her free <laughs> which is absurd that's that's not what's going to happen clearly nothing in this book has made that a reasonable expectation but it's uh, still almost like Sokolov is pretty much that yeah but <sighs> yeah i guess let's not rule it out just yet but yeah i agree that's not that's a unreasonable um and one of the reasons Sokolov is a good guy, per se, like, we, I see him, at least, in my mind, he's a good guy, um, is because of Zula's uh, subtle emotional manipulation. <laughs> that was uh, her talking about um, how she accidentally manipulated Sokolov was really funny to me. Yeah. Yeah, that that was good. And And then she was trying to find out how to apply it to Jones, and I think that kind of went downhill but yeah i think uh, i'm not sure if it's gonna work as well um just because jones is so uh headstrong i guess and very intelligent and yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, my next note is about richard so okay i i was really hoping that the the subaru that they pulled up in that was from a, a hunting group or something yeah yeah would would be from richard's old employer oh nice yeah that'd be cool i i don't think it would get her anywhere it wouldn't really help her too much no but it would be interesting it'd be something a little callback yeah which i they never straight out said that it wasn't but it also i don't think they still have it no i think they ditched it by the time we get to the end of our reading yeah yeah, that that a truck like that takes a bit of um, it, it draws some attention, which is not what they want. Mm-hmm. You said you had something about Richard. Uh, yeah, only one for his next thing before Zula comes back. Um, just that trying to do anything on a brand new laptop is impossible. Yeah, and he finds yeah. this out, I, and I and it's something that Neil Stevenson comments on, and I thought it was mm-hmm. I, I never thought about it before, but it, he's totally correct. Yeah. And and it's weird even for me going to um like for work I have a MacBook that I use sometimes and I don't have the better snap tool installed on that because it's not my computer. Okay. But it's weird every time I can't snap the window. And so mm, e- even yes. beyond just that it's it's uncomfortable updating and all that stuff. It's weird not having your own yeah. settings pre-installed on it. Yeah, uh, I a while back I had to uh, move to a new laptop, and even with the migration assistance for Mac, there's several for Mac. Um, it's still the preferences aren't quite right because I don't need the trackpad to be as quick because the trackpad's bigger now, and like stuff, stuff, little stuff like that. It just feels weird to use someone else's computer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, LastPass doesn't. It doesn't fill in my forms and it, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you have anything for Richard? No, I have pretty much nothing until like day 15. Okay. Um, then Zula gets, gets attacked by a bear. Yeah. Is my next one. Um, she mentioned having conversations about bears and how it's a black hole for kinds of conversation. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, there's no way. But then I thought, holy crap, maybe. 
Because the other day, I was with some friends, and someone brought up whether or not bears roar. (laughs) And we had a very long discussion about whether or not the sound that bears make... what, What is that sound called? Not the grunting noise they make, but the I'm angry at you and I'm trying to scare you noise. What what side did you fall on? I fell I fell on the uh, it's a roar. I think there are just different categories of roar because uh, bears don't roar like lions roar or dinosaurs roar. Yeah, but they it that's the only word I have to describe it. Yeah, um, yeah, I I agree. Bears roar. Uh, listeners, we just had to cut out twenty seven minutes of a bear conversation that we got trapped into, but. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, the only reason we stopped the conversation that one day uh, with my friends is because um, we were all distracted by something else and it was in a little coffee yeah. shop or whatever and it, we, there was just something else more interesting that was happening. But no, we were never going to uh, naturally get out of the bear conversation. I don't think I've ever been in a conversation about bears except for the instructional like here is a slideshow presentation on how to not get killed by a bear five slides that take longer than the five slides should probably but (laughs) there there's a uh, it's regimented because it's by the boy scouts of america or by the national park service or something uh and should, should we go through the different strategies for different bears i feel like that is a spiral we'll get caught into again okay well i'll put a link in the show notes for what to do if you're attacked by a bear so it you'll have quick and easy access via your podcatcher next time you are attacked by a bear yeah or don't, drill it i bet there's don't commit it to memory just look it up every time <laughs> you get attacked by a bear <laughs> out in the middle of wood, the woods with your 4g lte yeah yeah okay um do you have more for that? Like I said, I don't have anything till okay. day 15. Um, then Zula, again with the deductions, um, how she figured out she was on a ferry. Yeah. That, that, yeah, a lot of that was really cool. Yeah. I. So yeah, I think Neil Stevenson might want to talk to Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> um, and then using power tools inside an RV seems like not the best yeah. idea. Also power tools take up a lot of power like a lot of electricity i'm not sure how effective that generator is but it's going to have to be very effective if they're going to effectively use power tools Mm -hmm. for it seemed like a long period of time it i couldn't they don't think they give you an exact estimate but it um it seemed like a couple hours yeah she said at least a couple hours that seems like a lot of gasoline for that generator it sounds like they have some money to spend apparently not necessarily theirs but (laughs) yeah i i did like that he he put you in zula's mind as she was figuring it out it's a lot better than trying to follow this story with all of this different stuff um from someone else's perspective yeah you were trying to follow jones i don't think a i don't think that he would have gotten into jones's head the same way as a girl who was raised in the midwest yeah i think that'd be much more there, difficult there was no also B. also jones is i i think you don't want really want he doesn't want the reader to be inside jones's head because jones is mm-hmm. kind of a uh you he's the guy you don't know what he's gonna do and it would kind of ruin the yeah. story if you were inside his head yeah um when richard was picking his brother up from the airport um 
Richard mention uh, says to his brother that he can move the seat if he's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then they he went into this whole um, uh, what do you call that? Uh, observations on other people, but introspective, but not the opposite of that. Extrospective. Yeah, I guess. All right. <laughs> Uh, this extrospective, um, <laughs> he, he makes an observation about, um, uh, offering to, offering the opportunity yeah, the, to move the seat in someone's car. The stubbornness. Yeah. And which get, got me thinking not about that, but about using someone's car for like a day or something as, while you're driving it. Oh, yeah. What are you, what's your philosophy on changing their preferences as far as seats and mirrors? I am a safer driver when I am sitting comfortably and can see out of the mirrors. Okay, but would you adjust it to exactly your liking or just good enough to be able to see? If it's already in just good enough, I leave it in just good enough. But if it's not good enough, then it would go exactly to my liking. Okay, I think that's fair. Um... As far as seats go, I usually don't adjust the... My philosophy is just adjust as little as possible. So mm-hmm. if if I just can't... If I'm just too tall for... And the pedals aren't... If my knees are hitting the steering wheel or something, I'll just move the seat forward and backward and not lean it back at all. Yeah. I like to sit back when I drive. I like to have my uh, hips be farther forward than my head when I drive. Mm-hmm. And that will... But if someone likes to sit straight up, I'm not going to change their their seat back if I'm only using it for a day. Uh, as far as mirrors go, I find that most people have their mirrors in a bad spot anyway. Uh-huh. And I'm not, it's not my place to like educate them on the where you should actually have your mirrors pointed. But mm-hmm. now that we're actually, on, now that I'm on a public podcast, I can actually say some of this stuff and no one will be like, why, oh, is, yeah. he, why is he saying that? Um, but your rear view mirror, the one that you stick on your windshield, that's for seeing behind you. And yep, if that's you are, <laughs> what the name says, and if you are in a car that can, can see behind you. So if you're not in like a weird situation where you have a, if you have a trailer or something that you can't see behind you, you're going to want to mm. use that mirror to see behind you and your side mirrors don't also need to see behind you. Yeah. Cause that's what the one in the middle is for. Your side yep. mirrors can be pointed to the side of you and at what would normally be your car's blind spot. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and if you get it just right, you can position it so, in most cars at least, so that as a car is leaving the view of your rear view mirror, it is entering the view of your side mirror. And when it's exiting the view of your side mirror, it's entering the view of your window. Okay. And so for most cars, actually, that's very possible. And there's a lot of wiggle room, actually, if you like to see a little bit more or less behind you. But I'm not sure actually what the um, what the uh, proper way to position your mirrors is, according to the driver's ed people. But so, of course, use caution whenever uh, driving listeners. But this is the way that I have found to be most of to see the most to use your mirrors the most, I guess. You mm-hmm. Use your mirrors to see the most stuff, which I think is the goal of the mirrors. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I I think uh, going back to seat adjustments, I guess I just adjusted 
usually the rear view mirror because I am at a height that the rear view mirror wouldn't show me anything beneficial if it was where other people usually have their mirrors. Yeah, I agree. I try to avoid moving the side mirrors because it's harder to move. Yeah, um, but I'm of the opinion that if I'm going to move it at all, it should be a big move. So it's obvious. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's actually all my notes. So that's all your notes. Okay. I was so giddy when Olivia showed up. <laughs> it was exciting. I mean, I guess I did. She wasn't doing much at first, mostly just getting to MI6 and... Well, no, but the the description of, like, then he turned around and there was a small Asian descent, a small woman of Asian descent in the corner of the building, and she approached him and was like, hey, and I was like, oh my god, really? Yeah. Um, um, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's good when the story, it's good that the stories are emerge, uh, converging at some point. I was getting a little worried, to be honest. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't, they're never going to, like, the three stories have, haven't met up so far besides Sokolov transferring from Zula's to Olivia's. In a hundred pages, we didn't get anything about uh, Marlin and Yuxia. Yep. So so we'll see how that goes, too. Yeah. And then I they were talking about Olivia's time doing, learning more about uh, Terrain. And they said that she wanted, she was done with the game for the day, but she wanted to know so much more. Like, what kind of elderberries could you pick to craft a potion of swiftness or whatever? Yep. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things that they mentioned was what kind of herbs could you mix to wake up the elven princess on page uh, 659, if that's the kind of thing you care about. I, re- I remember it, yeah. Um, and I was thinking that the the quests in that game like that one would be pretty meaningless if every character had that quest yeah because you wouldn't that has to be you would just look it up online event that once the the elven princess is awoken no one else can go wake up that elven princess right right because the whole point of the game is that stuff that happens happens permanently yeah and it happens so that everyone and it advances the story. Yeah. So that, I it just clicked into place then how much goes into writing all those little side quests so oh, yeah. that they're unique for... Very clearly a lot of work was put into that. Yeah. Because the paid players are paying a lot for that unique story. Yeah, and it's a story they get to participate in, but also watch. It's mm-hmm. a, it's like, it, it, I for me, it, it'd be like watching a TV show... Except you get to participate in the TV show. You get it, but there's already a... There's, like the, the story is um, happening, but you are doing the story. You are the story. You are the like character. the one singing competition. American Where Idol? you could text in to... No, where you could text in to like raise the curtain in oh, front of them. The more text they got, Except, the higher the curtain went. I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but it's a little bit like that, but not really. Because it's different because you're not just texting in. You're not just affecting the story you are the character in the story the story yeah. is made up but you are doing the the actual carrying out of the story mm-hmm. you but the are story presenting keeps moving forward yeah is the, sto- the, you're, is the you're, really cool part i would love to play that game where the story keeps moving forward yeah it'd be really cool except that sounds like a lot of work and i <laughs> and companies don't like work they like profit yeah 
and the current video game model is good enough for them mm-hmm. well that was my last note all right so we're going to read up to the end of day 18 which is page 795 on my edition uh write in let us know what you think about it we really want to hear what y'all are thinking of this book absolutely um and we will read any and all comments on the video we read all uh tweets and mentions at us so don't be afraid for sure uh dm us if you're more of a private kind of person so if you can uh phrase your your thoughts on reamd as a toast recipe all the better that we are almost obligated to read on the podcast so keep that in mind yeah and if you're gonna go through that Uh, much work to phrase it as a toast recipe uh just be proud of your work be proud and let us read it on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh if you do want to tweet that uh once again my twitter handle is at the puns guy and i'm at not stephen barry and you can still go around and rate us on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you want. Be sure to subscribe. That's something we haven't mentioned in a while. Subscribing is good for you. It makes sure we keep showing up in your feed. And um, I actually talked to someone a little bit ago who hadn't subscribed because they just didn't know that was a functionality of podcasts. So make sure you subscribe. Uh, yeah, it'll make sure you have us in your feed as soon as it comes out. So you don't have to wait to get your worrying bugs. You just absorb it, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. Computers can do a lot of things, including getting this podcast for you. And they will do that uh, two weeks from now. So we'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.